Alright, welcome back everyone. Um, so this message is kind of pulling together a few different things that I've been thinking about over the last couple of months, um, and also triggered by the time of the year. Um, you know, we've had over a month off church, which is a pretty big shake-up to our normal routine. And the whole New Year thing, when you start sort of looking back over your year and where you've come and how it all went too fast and you thought you'd have things together by now, and everyone's making New Year's resolutions. Is anyone... Who was New Year's resolutions before? No one. Oh, one? Oh, there we go. Got one. And who's still sticking with it? You're the only one, so we can only check up on you. beginning of the year is this sort of weird time when we feel like we have this extra enthusiasm to break a habit or finally make a decision to change the direction our lives are going. Maybe not in this audience from the sound of things, but um, for me it made me think about refocusing on God and getting my priorities right. Um, I've been struggling for a little while with my walk with God. Um, I feel like I've sort of been on autopilot for months and just kind of cruising along, not that enthusiastic. I mean, I've noticed one of the traps I've fallen into with my thinking is that being a Christian is something that I can do once and tick it off. You know, I'm one of those people that likes things to be organised and check boxes. So in my brain, if I think, you know, I've read the Bible, I've prayed a bunch of times, I believe in God, if I'm done, I'm all sorted. Um, kind of reminds me how we think about retirement. You know, we work hard, work hard when we're young and look forward to a time when we can relax and not have to think about it because we did what we were supposed to earlier and now we get to relax. And I know that that sounds ridiculous. Um, as a Christian, the point is to walk with God, and it's about the journey and to have a relationship. The point isn't to reach a specific level. Once we've learned enough or prayed enough, or whatever, then we're set and we can just cruise from there. And I think the problem I've found is that if we're not continually spending time with God, learning more about God, growing in our knowledge of Him and His ways, we don't just stay where we are. We never stop growing. And if we're not filling our time, our brains, with things of God then they get filled with something else. And we see some examples of that in the Bible, and I'm very glad that we do have some of those examples to learn from. Um, King Solomon is one that comes to mind. He was described as being wiser than any other. It says in 1 Kings that God gave Solomon very great wisdom, discernment and breadth of understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. People came from all the nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They came from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So the Bible is filled with all these positive things about Solomon um, and all these amazing things that he wrote too. And it's written that Solomon loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of his father David. Uh, But along with all those positive things, you probably also know um, that there are some not-so-positive things written of him. Later in 1 Kings, it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, 
as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is eastern of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incest and sacrificed to their God. So God told Israel not to marry these people from, from other nations because that they would turn his hearts, turn their hearts away from God. And I can I think I can see that same pattern there, that ticking the box of, you know, believing God, following God, you know, all these people coming to him for his wisdom and that he walked in the ways of the Lord. And thinking that he's made it, that he's following God, he's living a blessed life, he's done, he can stop thinking, trying, paying attention, he can relax. So we see that he shifts his focus, and I think that's the trap. I don't think he was on fire for God one day, and then the next thought it would be a great idea to worship these other gods. It would have been more subtle than that. A process of slowly being drawn to other things. God tells his people to walk with him, not to just sign a membership form. Walking with God implies continuity. He doesn't even say, walk with me for a while, or walk in my ways until you have achieved them all. It's a walk with me like you would with a friend or a family. Continue to walk with me. Um, Hopefully we don't have that attitude of walking with our friends until we get what we want, then we can leave them to it and do other things. That idea of friendship and relationship being continued. And we see that similar situation with King David, even though in those verses... King David's referred to as being this great guy. You know, Solomon wasn't great like his father David. Um, so yeah, we read a lot about King David being this amazing guy, walking with God, all those good things. But we also read that he, he takes his eyes off God and sets his focus on the lady next door, committing adultery and later murder to cover it up, which is obviously pretty far from the path that God had called him to walk. And I'm really glad that we have that story of David and that it doesn't end there. Not long after that situation, we read of David being convicted and feeling overwhelmed for his sin, and then turning back to God in repentance. And after that, his relationship with God was restored. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but if, if I screw up, even if it's something little, not killing the neighbour and stealing the wife, <laughs> even little things, it, it really messes with your head, you know. Um, you sort of dwell there for a bit, thinking I'm the worst, there's no hope for me, all those, all those nice things. Um, but the lesson in David is after he screwed up and realised how badly he'd gone astray, he repented, he recognised that he missed the mark and that this isn't the direction that he should be living his life. And he recalibrated, he fixed his eyes on God once again. And I was thinking about that idea of repentance and to turning back to God in that timing of New Year and resolutions and all those things. And just how we're lucky that we don't have to wait for a new year to repent and turn back to God. It's not like a resolution and a, and a striving and trying for the year to come to be better. That we can do this at any time. We can always turn back to God. And that we're better off to do it earlier rather than later. So when I was digging into this, um, I found that the Hebrew word for sin is katar. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But it, it literally means to miss the mark. And the roots of this word make more sense to the ancient audience. It's, it's like an arrow missing the target. If an arrow misses, it sins. It, it doesn't go where it was meant to go. 
And in the book of Judges, this word is used that among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss, not katar, not sin. So they could sling a stone and not sin, not miss what they were aiming for. So if we were shooting an arrow at a target and we hear our coach down the range yell out, sin, he's telling us that we missed. He's not telling us that, that we're horrible or that we're terrible. He's telling us, you were meant to go there and you missed. And no one expects us to stay standing at the other end of the range being labelled a misser for the rest of the day. People expect us to get up, go grab our arrow and try again, to recalibrate. You know, everyone laugh at that guy that missed the target. It's, it's not meant to be a label that sticks with you. I, mean, I haven't really done much archery, but I assume it takes a lot of practice. You know, at first you probably miss the target quite a lot. Um, and over time, as you learn to recalibrate and focus, the more time you spend looking at that target, the better off you'll get and you'll start to miss a lot less often. So, so it's a process thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a you hit or you sin. It's going to be a process of a lot of sins before you hit. Um, and there's another example where that word for sin is used, giving the same meaning but paints a different picture. Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge. And he who hurries with his feet sins, so he misses the mark. And this is painting a slightly different picture of acting impulsively and proceeding without caution or planning. Don't take a journey without planning the trip, or you might miss your destination. You might get lost. And in in contrast to that word for sin, we have this other word, which I'm definitely not going to try and pronounce. But the word that's translated for us as righteous literally means straightness. And this concept is also emphasised quite a lot. Um, The phrase to be righteous in Hebrew literally means to be straight. And this relates to an arrow or a spear that wouldn't throw very well if it wasn't true. If it had a bend in it or a kink and you try and fire your arrow, you're never going to hit that target. And that same word when it's used as a verb is translated as justified. For example, I need to be justified before God and be found righteous. And it was interesting, I was typing this sermon and you noticed the little formatting icons at the top of Word. And there's that highlighted one there, which is justified. And that literally is bringing the lines of your text in line, which I I thought that was pretty cool. (laughs) Never thought of it like that before. But one of the most common uses of this word for sin is associated with walking straight. I've got a few examples up here. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I will, and I will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. So this language is repeated again and again, and there's heaps of other examples of painting this picture of keep walking straight, don't, don't veer to the left or to the right, stay focused on your mark and keep walking. And this is a picture that was a bit more practically relevant to these guys than it is for us today. They didn't have Google Maps or GPS. If they were going to go for a long journey, if they wanted to travel off-road, maybe crossing a desert or a massive amount of land, they didn't have the the GPS or the things that we do today. So what they would do is they would be looking in the distance for their landmark. So they would know that there's a city or their destination is the 
the bottom of whatever mountain on the horizon. Maybe it's the biggest one. So they would line themselves up with that and start walking. But if after a couple of hours your friend next to you says, hey, we've, we've wandered off our path, um, we've sinned, we're no longer on track to hit our destination, we've end up off track, what would we do? Do we just sort of sit there and think, oh, we've messed it up, we've just got to keep going the same way? Or do we stay there, sit down? Yeah, we recalibrate, we look, look back at our mark and we start walking towards it again. Um, over the holidays, I was out fishing with my brother-in-law, and we were sitting a long line on the jet ski, um, and he was driving on the way out and did all the hard work. I wasn't really paying that much attention. And then we came back to shore, and the plan was for me to go back with someone else to pick up this long line. And we had a GPS, so it was all fine. But, but he told me, in, in case the location gets wiped off the GPS or it powers off, the trick to finding where we set that line is to drive out across the bar, find the second marker boy, and once you get there, you'll see two islands on the horizon, and we're going to aim for the middle of that, and just keep going for about 20 minutes, and you'll find it. And I, I followed his instructions. I was just curious to see you know, whether it would work. And I was sort of checking my GPS, you know, making sure I wasn't going too far off, and, and it was working perfectly. Uh, but anyone who's been on a boat or tried to drive a boat will know how that will completely fail if I got to my marker boy, lined up my destination, started driving, and never looked at that mark again. If I was looking around sightseeing, you know, boats don't drive straight for very long at all with waves and wind and everything going on. So that idea that we have to constantly look up at our mask or we're going to keep on wandering all over the place. And the more often we keep looking up, the less we'll have to readjust. If we keep checking in every so often, we're going to be zigzagging and taking the long way there. But if we stay focused, we'll get there a lot simpler. In Proverbs 21 and James 5, they warn of the dangers of wandering with a bit of urgency. James says, My brothers, if one of you wanders away from the truth and somebody brings him back, you may be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from his wrong path will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And Proverbs says, A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. And again, talking to people, you know, thousands of years ago in the Middle East, a multi-day journey was, would probably require stopping for water, um, with a well or an oasis or something. But you can't see these in the distance. You know, on a hot day, you've got the, the heat coming off. You can't see very far at all, let alone any hills or anything else in your way. So that idea that even if we checked in every few hours and we went off track and we recalibrated, we'd end up with a zigzag pattern and we might miss our water stop on the way. The only way to find those marked-out water stops would be to be paying a lot of attention and make sure you don't wander off your path. And humans aren't that great on focusing on something without being drawn to it. Um, I read that um, rubbernecking, you know, when you're driving past and you look at an accident or something happening on the side of the road. Apparently in the US, that, that accounts for 16% of additional accidents in cars. So you're looking at this and you crash into the person in front of you or you, you veer off the road. We're just not that great at looking at one thing without going towards it. And it's the same with how we spend our time. Um, if we struggle with anxiety or fear of the future and we keep reading the news and focusing on all the scary things that we see there, we can't spend time looking at that and do that without being drawn to further anxiety. And if we struggle with lust, we can't watch movies with people getting frisky and then expect not to be drawn to that. 
Um, or what about leading up to the elections? Did anyone else find themselves getting really frustrated all the time? That's always in conversation, talking to your friends or family who are voting for the wrong party or every, you know, <laughs> if you read the comments on news articles, you know, but you, it drives you, makes you really frustrated and yet we keep doing it and wondering why we keep getting frustrated. I'm very glad that all that's over and we can ignore that for a while longer. And, and I think those things are okay to some extent, but when it becomes our main focus, if we take our eyes off God, off that mark, then we start to move off course. And, and that could be accidental. We might have good intentions that we want to keep walking in the ways of God, but that won't happen if we keep looking away from God and we don't check in often. We will inevitably wander off course. And I love that song that we sang, Come Thou Fount. There's some great words in there. I praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, take and seal it. Um, while researching for this, I came across a story about the guy who wrote that song. His name was Robert Robinson, which I think is an amazing name, just aside. Um, he lived in the 1700s in England. And he wrote the song when he was 22, very young. Uh, but later in life, he wandered from his faith. And he was exploring some strange beliefs, and he, he lost his zeal from his early life. And there's a story floating around that one day he was in a horse-drawn carriage cheering it with a lady that he didn't know. And that woman was reading a hymn book and the woman quoted, Come thou fount of every blessing, saying what an encouragement it had been to her. And try as he might, Robinson could not get her to change the subject. Finally, he said with tears in his eyes, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote those words many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. Gently she replied, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. He was deeply touched by that, and as a result of the encounter, he repented and his fellowship with the Lord was restored. So I think that's a pretty cool story. And that is, it's very good news that God's streams of mercy are never ceasing. That even though we are prone to wander, we can always repent and come back to him. So I guess that's, that's the main message for today, that if you find yourself, like me, like, like lots of us, you've been wandering off for a little while, that we do have a God who will always take us back. And if you repented and turned back on January the 1st, and you've wandered since then, that we don't have to wait until next year to come back to God, that we can reach out any time for forgiveness. And like those maps say, the more often we do that, the more often we fix our eyes on our mark, we'll get less zigzags and we'll keep going straighter. Let us pray. God, we thank you that your mercies are never ceasing, that you rejoice when we come back to you, and that you call us to come back. And we pray for anyone here who is wandering or who hasn't yet started their walk with you. We ask that you would draw them closer to you, that you would draw all of us closer to you, that we would grow in knowledge and love for you and understand your love for us. Amen. Amen.